This week on Dueling Review, it's Jim Henson's Labyrinth Masquerade from Boom Studios. All is not what it seems, with the guests of Jareth's famous masquerade as one of the participants slowly awakens to the reality of her topsy-turvy existence in the Goblin Kingdom when Sarah shatters the glass mirrors during her escape. But as this mysterious participant puts together the pieces, her discoveries threaten to unravel everything, everything, everything. So this week, we are taking a look at... A move. Uh, we're looking at a comic book from a movie from 30 plus years ago, 35 years ago. Yes, and it has a huge following and a huge fandom. Uh, the uh, the whole labyrinth thing from Jim Henson Studios and Boom Studios, uh, now owned by Disney, has been kind of a big deal for Boom over the last couple of years. And I guess it kind of feeds into this. And I don't want to say weird, as in oh, man, look at that, that's weird. Into I, I guess I should say this fascinating area of fandom where number one we live in a fantastic time of comics right it used to be back in the day you could get your your funny comics with your jerry lewis's and your bob hopes and your bugs bunnies and your woody woodpeckers mm-hmm. you could get your marvels and you can get your dcs maybe you could get a little horror maybe you could get a little uh, a little romance in your comics but from like the mid 70s and so we're basically just oh and don't forget the cowboy comics you're basically capes and tights. Howdy, but, howdy. I'm a cowboy. But now we live in a time where you can find pretty much a comic book to meet your every need, your every desire, your every niche, your every interest. And I think that really comes together in this book that we're reviewing this week because Labyrinth, a 35-year-old movie, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. 86, yeah. 35, yeah. 30. Yeah, so 34, 35 years old, and it still has a huge following. Well, I mean, it is a, a cult classic film. It's a movie that was like, whoa. I don't think anybody paid attention to it much in 1986, because 1986 was a really good year for movies. It was no 1984, but it was, you know, no 1988 either. But Labyrinth is one of those films that has aged particularly well. We watched it not too long ago. I want to say we watched it a couple of years ago. I think we did a double feature with uh, Never Ending Story and The mm-hmm. Labyrinth. And the boys were much younger, so they would have been about four years younger. So the, old, the oldest would have been nine. The youngest would have been five or six. Mm-hmm. And the youngest really didn't care for it. And in fact, he didn't want to watch anything too far past uh, uh, Atreyu, the horse, uh, you know, in the in the swamp forest. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, dying. He was like, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm out and, and left. So I don't even know if he even watched Masquerade. But I think the oldest was kind of turned off because it had, you know, female protagonist. And there was this, you know, sexy love pants, David Bowie running around. And so I don't know if they ever really got into it. Now, I know the youngest went back and revisited um never ending story a couple of years later and really enjoyed it. But I don't think they've been back to see the masquerade or I'm sorry, a labyrinth. labyrinth. So I, uh, we, we watched it with widget and she was 15, I think, and really, really kind of dug it and was terrified at parts of it. And then was like, yeah, okay. I don't ever need to see that again. Yeah, no, I mean, there are some really you know terrible things like, Hey, I wish the goblins would come and take you away, little brother, because you're getting all the attention and I get nothing because I'm a spoiled child. And then, of course, the Goblin King comes, grants your wish. You never see your brother again until you go and do the whole labyrinth thing and and dance with the Goblin King and smash mirrors and all this stuff. Yeah, you have to yell the magic words. Ziggy played guitar. 
And yet, I this think. is not the first time, at least in the Labyrinth, uh, the Masquerade that we're reviewing this week, this is not the first time that the Goblin King has uh, has done that. Didn't do it with Sarah. Had no, to do and it with... that, that was implicit in the film there as well. I mean, they didn't come out and say it, but there were other children who had been there. Yeah. Because, you know, Hoggle was like, nobody ever gets out. Mm-hmm. And people were, you know, telling her, oh, no one ever gets out. No one will ever figure it out. Ha ha, mm-hmm. you're stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you want to feel old, the baby from Labyrinth is now playing Baby Yoda. <laughs> it's true facts. Uh, yeah, so I, there's something, I mean, there's got to be something great, number one, about a fandom of, of Labyrinth, which it's a, I would say it's a pretty good movie. I'm not sure that I would put it into... And so here's the other thing, too, right? Because, and this is the other thing I was trying to get to about fandom, is, number one, you can find a comic book for every niche, for every interest, including a movie that's 35 years old. And number two, a movie that's 35 years old that was just, you know, I would say it's a better than average movie, but I wouldn't say it's a a great movie, uh, has a large enough fandom that Boom Studios can continue to do Labyrinth comics for, I want to say, like three or four years now. Yeah. And still have and, a large readership of that. And I don't think it's all 50-year-old people buying this. No, but I mean, you you have kind of universal stuff in here. This has, you know, echoes of Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. It has moments where you're like, oh, you know, I can totally see this as a reference to, you know, any of those coming-of-age stories or mm-hmm, any of those stories. Mm-hmm. And especially for a young woman, which isn't necessarily common in 80s fiction. And you have moment you have like the MC Escher sequence and you have mm-hmm. the weird crazy flaming dance monsters who tear off their own heads yeah. and I mean it's memorable it's definitely a memorable film well so and I feel like little Jennifer just acts her her sweet little heart yeah. out and and then you know, years the fact later that Jennifer she's in that... grew up to be you know an, an adorable woman like yeah. a super 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 beautiful woman who continued acting probably helps well but here's the thing about what's fascinating about this this is not simply a story set in the world of the labyrinth. No, this, this is, is a story, a story set... that takes place in the film in a very specific scene in a very specific moment that you have to remember from the movie because then that's where the story splits off and you're like, "Oh, okay." So this in the scene that we're talking, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dancing. Is yes, what this is. yeah, pretty much. Because here's here's what's happening. We find out that uh, the Goblin King has been keeping all the people that have come to the Goblin Kingdom looking for their lost brothers or sisters, uh, essentially frozen as mannequins until he needs them. And then he has a little goblin that comes along and activates them and sets up the ballroom for the big masquerade events and everything. And so we get introduced to our character, our protagonist in this story. And we are seeing the scene of that ballroom, that masquerade from her point of view And when Sarah breaks the mirrors, she realizes she's starting to remember things that have happened to her in the real world. And she's like, oh, well, if Sarah is looking for her little brother, somebody must be out there looking for me. And she and this goblin go off looking for the person that uh, wished her away and realize that it's been 100 years on Earth since these two disappeared. And they're going to reenter the world in a very, very different way. But it's a very sad story about brothers and sisters and hate and progress and, you know, still loving that other person enough to go and find them, even though they wished you away to the cornfield. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you also have some really interesting family stuff going on with the goblin whose name escapes me. Yeah. 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 
Um, you know, he meets his sister and his mother, and it, it really does kind of all tie together. And you realize that even the the people who are from the labyrinth are probably still under Jareth's thumb. And I kind of mm-hmm. like that fact where he's just trying to make something of himself. He's trying to be more than just a goblin, but no one will accept him because he's just a goblin. And it's kind of telling that he goes through all of this. And I don't know exactly how I feel about this because, you know, Nettie, the female protagonist mm-hmm. is a black person. Mm-hmm. And you feel like, well, maybe this experience he's going through could be something similar to what she would have gone through a hundred years ago. Well, in a, in not only just from a person of color experience, mm-hmm. uh, but also because she is someone that's like, well, I want to go to college and I want to become a lawyer and I want to do all this stuff. And her right. older sister is like, why don't you just get married and settle down and, and find a nice rich man to, to take care of you the rest of your life. And so she is trying to struggle with this idea that in the society of 1886 or whatever year that this uh, story took place, mm-hmm. that, um, that that really wasn't a woman's place to do a lot of those things. And you know, in a way it's good that she's getting out a hundred years later. She can go do whatever she wants. Yeah. And that's also, I think the part of the story that has a lot of hope to it because we as readers know that, Oh, a hundred years have passed and a lot of the things that they would have gone through the racism, the, the, um, you know, the, the misogynist, uh, uh, uh society, uh, is, I don't want to say is done away with, but they get to skip a huge chunk of that. And then when she comes back, if she wants to enter a college or if she wants to go back to school or if she wants to become a lawyer, she has all of this opportunity ahead of her. She definitely has more opportunities. I would say that both misogyny and racism are going yes, to be real problems for her. They're still there. It, it, especially, you know, as she gets out of 1986 and heads towards 2017. That's true. But, you know. What are you going to do? Well, I, uh, let's but, just yeah, say she, know, she has more opportunities. She had she had more opportunities returning to Earth in 1986 than she would have if she was able to return in 1886. Agreed. Agreed. So, the one, though, that I think is almost a little bit of the tragic story, though, is the sister who realizes the mistake went to go find her, got trapped in the Goblin Kingdom. And now she is one that is going to have to reenter the world that is totally changed from what she was expecting and accustomed to. So she's might she might have a much harder time uh, when she comes back. Uh, she's got Nettie to help her. They'll do fine. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, you know, and that's the main point, right? Is that the end? They realize that it's good that we are together and that we have each other. And what a horrible thing we did, you know, trying to wish the other away or trying to, you know, disassociate from the other. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of nice. And you do get the you know the chance to rescue someone to be your friend or your sister, whoever you want it to be. And you can be more than just whatever it is. Someone thinks you are. I like all of that. I also feel like this is a story that I would have probably read and enjoyed if it were not tied into the labyrinth. I feel like this is an example of a kind of good story, a really beautifully drawn story and a well-written story that in order to get printed, got tied into Jareth and the Labyrinth. Well, so what's, rather wrong, than, what's the what's the problem with having this be part of Labyrinth? That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's what it's the modern take of you don't get anything new, you only get expansions on what we already have. True. You won't ever get this cool new thing unless it's a Star Wars story or a Muppet story or a something that Disney owns story. And I feel like that 
could, you know, at least from my perspective, that could be considered a little bit of a, of not lesser because it's an enjoyable comic, Mm -hmm. but it's something that keeps, you know, that weighs on me. Would I have read this had it not been set in the world of David Bowie and, you know, young Jennifer Connelly? And I don't know, would it have even gotten printed if it weren't? You know, these are questions that we can't answer, that we'll never be able to answer, that, you know, the kind of thoughts that kept me out of the really good schools. Well, and I, well, first of all, I don't think you would have a story like this with Goblin King and the Masquerade and everything without the Labyrinth uh, property attached to it. I'm not sure you could just easily do a story this way and have people uh, jump into it. Uh, you do this in the world of like uh, the Six Gun. You could do this in the world of Emmy and the Witchy Witchy Poos. I don't. Which... I don't. I don't think so. I think this is a lot of this is very specifically tied to this property. Which again, I have no problem because again, that's what I was saying at the beginning. Is there is a fandom that is wanting to be served by something that I don't think there was ever a Labyrinth sequel movie. There might have been. No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so either. But, um, you know, that they want more of this world. And the only place they can get it, at least right now, is in these comic books that are coming out from uh, Boom Studios. So we had Labyrinth Coronation and we had these other Labyrinth uh, books that that uh, popped up. And now we're getting another little slice of what, you know, what makes this world tick and what makes the Goblin King tick and what makes, you know, this world a very sad place, even though it's supposed to be very spooky. And so I think that it's okay that this is something based on an existing property, especially when it appears from what I can see at the numbers of of comics being sold, that there's a a large number of people who are interested in this. If there wasn't, Boom wouldn't have have published this. If there was not interest in this, they would not be publishing it. Well, sure. Because this is a licensed property that's costing them money. Keep in mind that the previous story was the secret origin of the Goblin King. Well, yes. (laughs) But yes, you know, that's a thing. These things happen. And again, that's not necessarily a dig. It's not necessarily a knock, but it is something that I, you know, I wonder about with a lot of these stories is could they be told as original properties? And if not, why not? But, you know, that's that's kind of a side discussion. And what it really comes down to for me is. I had trouble getting into this book. I had some issues at the beginning going, what in the world is going on? Why am I talking to this goblin? What is, you know, what's the damage? But by the time we really got to the point where he and Nettie were breaking out of the mirror, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to feel this now. And once I was done with my first read through, I was like, oh, I kind of enjoyed the way that all came together. So it's a book that took me a minute to acclimate to, but once I did, very entertaining read. Yeah, I was also the same way because I was like, okay, where is this in the story, and do I remember all this stuff? And then, of course, when you see Sarah show up in her big uh, ball gown, it's like, okay, okay, I know where this part You're of the— Her poofy bridesmaid's dress. Yeah, I remember where this part of the story is, and then I could follow along with it. So, yes, for me—and again, I'm not a hardcore fan of this. I—, I I've probably only watched this movie. Well, I watched it a, a lot more when we had it on VHS um, in our house. I think we got Back it off HBO. 90s. Yeah, no, it's probably late '80s because I was still at home, and my sister was totally into the movie. So I know we watched this multiple times in the in the mid '80s. Um, but I probably haven't seen it until you know, like I said, a few years ago when I had the the boys watch it. 
And so I'm not attached to this like so many other people are. So I, too, had a little bit of time going, okay, what's going on? Let me do a frame of reference. And then once it clicked and we start to see what the world is and we're expanding on the world, then I'm like, yes, very solid story, very well written. The art is wonderful. But um, here's the other thing about comic books. And I've said this before, and it causes a lot of confusion among people. Um, I think it is great that we live in a time when there is a comic book that can meet every single person's need, right? There's something out there for everyone. You just need to go find it. That being said, not every comic book is for you, right? So if you're someone who's never seen The Labyrinth, if you're someone who doesn't know anything about this, this is probably a book that you're just probably not going to have a whole lot of interest in because you're not going to have a frame of reference to it. You may be somebody who is absolutely against uh, the Labyrinth or anything Jim Henson or anything having to do with Disney, then you probably don't want to pick up this book. I thought it was a solid book. I thought it was a solid read, but I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of people who are going to say, oh, this book wasn't really good. It didn't have Superman coming in and punching Captain America in the face. I give this a thumbs down. This comic's not for you then, if that's what you're looking for. Okay. Um, Omega Lazarus says in the chat, I've never seen the movie, but this looks very pretty. But this book is very pretty. Yes, it is a very pretty book. Um, so, you know, kind of keep that in mind when you go into this. If you haven't seen Labyrinth, would you suggest people check it out, Matthew? Ah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Ah, that's fascinating. If only you were unmuted when you were saying all that stuff. Uh, no, 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 So that's how I saved Christmas. Yes, I would recommend it. And I would recommend <laughs> it based on two things. Okay. First, it's a very pretty comic. And second, I don't feel like knowing the movie Labyrinth gives you a lot of, a lot more appreciation than this. Cause as I said, I literally just watched the movie a month or two ago. And I was like, yeah, okay. Is this in the same world? Is it the same time? Yeah, it expands oh, upon during the movie. Yeah, but knowing that it happens during the movie doesn't really add anything to the experience. I don't feel like knowing that it happens during the movie is necessary to understand it. And I think that the shot of Sarah popping up and Jareth grabbing her and them dancing, and then the you know the mirror getting smashed, and all those things happening, I feel like the movie makes sense or rather the story makes sense, even if you haven't read that part of the movie, because they're clearly yeah. talking about, oh, well, you're stuck on the other side of the mirror and this is where you are. Now the mirror is shattered. Okay, you're good. But I do agree with you in that I don't necessarily know that there's a huge fandom of people clamoring for a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of Labyrinth. But then I also feel like it's a done in one comic. It's, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Two ninety nine. It's a gift to give to somebody who loved the movie. Well, like I said, the, there is a fandom and it's a seven ninety nine book and I will get back up on my soapbox and I will say no one in their right mind should be paying seven ninety nine for a comic book. Uh, I think that is way too expensive, especially for the length of this comic book. Uh, this should be at most a five ninety nine book. Uh, and if you wanted to sell more copies, you would make this a three ninety nine book. Uh, but whatever, it's a one shot. It's a special thing. It's got a lot more pages than a regular comic book. So you're going to have to pump up the price. But I, again, I'm going to say this every week when people are asking us to read a book that's over $2.99. I'm getting very nervous that, 
you know, five ninety nine is going to be the norm. Six ninety nine is going to be the norm. And this is like the third or fourth book in the last uh, two months that has had a seven ninety nine price tag. And I'm getting very worried that comic books for twenty eight pages are going to turn into seven ninety nine comic books. And I'm very much against that. So um, maybe take a pause if eight dollars is a little bit too much for your pocketbook right now. Uh, yeah, your pocketbook there, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget yeah, your coin purse. Yeah, um, but uh, I'm a dapper dad, man. I am very, I'm very concerned when we start to see prices of comic books climbing up. That being said, I still enjoyed the story. I still think the art is is very good. I personally would not pay seven ninety nine. I'd pay four ninety nine, three ninety nine. Really, would be my sweet spot on this book. I would agree. Yeah. All right. So we've had a lot of discussion on this. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed it. You people in the in the chat. We got a few people hanging out with us uh, this week. And look, everyone, Marshall is there. Hi, Marshall. Yeah. Uh, so Marshall is there. So it's really great to see Marshall there. Uh, Versus the mush. Sorry, I'm late. She... We are um, not doing a show next week. So normally at this part of the show, we would say, hey, here's what's coming out next week. And here's what you need to do. And you need to go and vote over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. But because of the new year and because we've got some other podcasts that we're recording on Wednesday night uh, next shows. week. Nuts, no, critical hit. We always record critical hit on a Wednesday. Shh. Uh, but we are not going to uh, do a show next week because that will be New Year's Eve. And I know so many of you are will be out partying. And of course, Matthew has to go to bed early. So we will skip next week, but we will be back the week afterwards to do a show. In the meantime, you can go and find uh, other th- cool things over at Patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. Matthew's yeah. got a new Why Do You Hate Me that's coming up soon. Looking yeah. at Alf. We've got a new flashback episode that's coming up very soon. We've got critical hit episodes. Uh, we got the bonus content. So much more over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And if you want to listen to this show live on Thursday nights, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, then you want to point your browser to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Sign up at the silver level membership or higher. And then you can connect your Discord account to your Patreon account. You'll get access to secret rooms in our Discord and you can come hang out with us every night or not well you can if you want to hang out every night but you can come and hang out with us every week as we record dueling review like i said we will be back in 2021 to talk about more comics and you will maybe also be able to hear matthew say now freeze 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 now go this podcast is copyright 2020 by major spoilers entertainment llc